Vision family, what's up everybody? It's Zach and wow, last Sunday was really special. We talked about and went into the topic of conversation being, you guessed it, Jesus. We want to become so much like Jesus. So much so to where when the disciples are mentioned in the gospels and we have a beautiful picture of the 12 disciples, the disciples are not mentioned in the gospel for us to try and relate with them. The whole point of the gospels even being mentioned in the gospels is so that we would see what happens to people when they are sur- when they surround themselves with Jesus at every point. So Jesus is the one we are called to live like. Not unto Peter, not unto Thomas, not even unto John. We're called to live unto Jesus. And so he died on the cross so that we could live lives full of his glory, full of his presence at every point. So it's exciting. I can't wait for us to dive into it a little bit more. But anyways, just know that you're loved. Know that Jesus sees you. The cross is affirmation. And yeah, get out your Bibles. We're diving in. Let's go. Good morning, everybody. Oh, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Wow, what a time. What a time to be alive. Awesome. All right, you guys know the drill. Let's stand. Let's stand, stretch a little bit, loosen up. We're just going to thank Holy Spirit for what he wants to do this morning. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads, and just center your heart, center your love, center your affection on Jesus. Because he's the one that we're talking to. He's the one that we're learning about. He's the one that we're going in deep. And when I say deep, I mean, we're going in deep, so deep. We want to just, we want to look just like him. So Jesus, we invite you in this place this morning. We thank you for your presence that has already been ministered to in such a beautiful way, Father. I just thank you that as we continue through the service, Father, it's not about a service. It's not about who's bringing the word. It's not about how well we think things run on a Sunday morning. But Jesus, it's solely about ministering to your heart, loving you, pursuing you, wanting to look more like you. You're the one that we've come to be with. You're the one that we've come to please. You're the one that we've come to be with. Like Mary of Bethany, we will sit at your feet we will listen for as long as is needed to hear what you have to say. I thank you, Lord, that we don't serve a Jesus that is only doing things in the scriptures, but he is doing things now, today. He's not a Jesus that is still in the tomb. We serve a Jesus that is risen again and seated at the right hand. That's the Jesus that we serve. And so I just thank you, Lord. Would you tenderize our hearts to hear what you have to say? Father, would you guide and and direct my lips, Lord, on what I'm to say, how I'm to say it. Because, Lord, we've come here for Jesus and for him alone. In Jesus' name. And if you believe it, say amen. 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 Just a couple things I want to go over. Who brought your Bibles? Yeah, let me see them. If you brought your Bible, let me see it. Let me see it. Hold it up. Get it up there. Let's go. Let's go. Paper's coming back, guys. Paper's coming back. Paper's coming back. So good. I'm good for right now, but stay close. Yeah. So 
Yeah, paper's coming back. I don't know about you guys, but I just feel like there's new things that God is doing in me specifically. I had an amazing transformation happen this last week. I, I sat down for two hours yesterday and I watched the Masters, which never happens. Any golf fans in here? Any golf fans? All right. So I see I'm in the minority. So, <laughs> but yeah, I'm like sitting there watching the Masters. I'm like, I never watched this. But now I am, so it's exciting. I'm watching putts. I'm like, Tiger Woods hitting putts. He's struggling, Lance. He's struggling. But you know what? Maybe he'll come back today and finish out a little even. But man, on the flip side, Jesus is amazing, is he not? Come on, he's doing things. He's speaking to us. Um, but what I really feel in my heart for today that, that he downloaded to me was his zeal for us to look just like Jesus. Okay, so I want us to just kind of move outside of our understanding, move outside of our own minds. God created you with a mind not to explain away what he's trying to do, but he gave you a mind to be able to communicate what he's doing, okay? So that's where we're gonna go this morning is looking not a little bit like him, not have aspects of our life that resemble Jesus. The very core of your being looks so much like him that when people look in your eyes, they see the fire. And they see him. Because we were created in his image, all right? Genesis paints that picture beautifully. God came and he said, let us make man in our image. He made man, and then he had man name all the animals, all of creation that God had made. And then God looked and he saw that there was not a companion fit for man. So what did he do? He caused a deep sleep to fall upon man. He reached into man, and out of man he created, whoa, man, fashioned her, and boom, there she is, from the man. So just as we see, I think God paints a beautiful picture here that just as he reached into man and made woman, so he reached into himself and made us. He breathed life into us. I heard something amazing a couple months ago, and it was that God only breathed once. He breathed into man. You understand what I'm saying here? Now, this is nothing against you ladies. God didn't breathe into the woman. He pulled the rib out and he fashioned the woman, but he breathed into man. Why? Because two were meant to live as one. It's the same breath. Just as we were pulled from God, we were meant to be one spirit with God. That's what Paul teaches us in the New Testament. And something I wanna just hit on very specifically this morning is first of all, why did Jesus come? Why did he come? Sin, death, destruction. Many times I think we, when we look at the curse, right? So the curse came into the world when man disobeyed God. How did man disobey God? We heard it a couple weeks ago explained so beautifully that woman reasoned in her mind and tried to rationalize the decision to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The more she thought about it, hmm, hmm, wow, that actually makes sense. Boom, eats it, right? And so why did Jesus come to remove sin, to remove the curse, to tear the veil and now bring oneness back between us and our Father? Communion, fellowship. And so the curse, sometimes we tend to always think in regards to the curse, we always draw it along the lines of natural disasters, things that take place apart from us, and the only thing that we ever attribute the curse to in our own bodies is the fact that we age. 
But have you ever thought that maybe there's different aspects of us that we have begun to explain away and just say it's part of who we are instead of asking ourselves, wait, Lord, is this how you originally created me to function and operate in the world today? Or am I just through personality tests and through trying to discover who I am, trying to actually live with something that you caused me to live free from? Does that make sense? Okay, so we're going somewhere. So through this, it's important for us to realize if you're in a place right now and you do not look just like Jesus looks, which is attainable, if you don't look just like Jesus, then we're not called to live with what we have now. If there's something that is bothering you, if there is something that is causing you to maybe drag your feet a little bit, and there's something that maybe you're thinking, there's got to be something better. You never ask that question when you're in his presence. Haven't you noticed that when you're in the presence of the Lord? You never ask yourself, man, there's got to be something better than this. No, you're saying there's nothing better than this. He's everything. His presence, I was made for this. I was made in his presence. Psalms 139, right? Psalms 139. I was made in the secret place, right? And so in his presence is our home. But outside of his presence, disconnected to him, we begin to try and find who we are. That's what society really pushes. Who are you? You know, you watch a movie, the, the hero steps down, you know, saves everybody, and people are like, who are you? You know, and it's like, I'm whatever, Iron Man, back before he died. Spoiler. But, you know, it's just people are always trying to see who they are and how God called us to live. When we see here in the scripture, it's actually impossible to know who you are outside of him. You're not even yourself. Like that's, that's mind-blowing. The way that it words it, the way that it goes through it. Because God created us with such tender, loving care that he would specifically design us to operate in a specific way. But if we're operating less than, why don't we ever actually look at ourselves and go, God, how can I get to where you've originally planned me to be, planted me to be? It's important for us to recognize that. And so Jesus came to separate the curse. He came to do away with the curse, to overcome death, hell, and the grave so that we could now have the ability to be called sons and daughters because we were orphans, but now we've been made right in his sight. Okay, we're gonna go a little bit into that. He came to redeem and restore humanity to the love of the Father. But I want us to recognize that Jesus is not only our savior. He is the blueprint for us on how we're meant to live, how we're meant to walk, how we're meant to treat people. We see Jesus in a three-year period cover more topics and cover more things than anyone has ever accomplished in like 10 lifetimes because that's who he is. But he came as a man. Okay, why did he come as a man? He came as a man because man messed up, man had to get it back, so he came in human form to redeem mankind. He didn't do it as God. If he did it as God, I feel like that would cause us to maybe be in the realm that some people see Jesus, which is, you're so far away. You're such a, you know, you're a savior, which is true. He is a savior, but he's a savior that is meant to live his life in us. He's not just way out there in the clouds. that's like, you're welcome. You know, he's a savior that's like, yes, I did that so that I could be so close to you. It would be uncomfortable. Like that close. That's how close he wanted to be to us. And so why would Jesus 
come the way he came if it wasn't for the purpose of making us just like him. When we look through the gospels, Jesus came and he had 12 disciples, right? So with these 12 disciples, I don't know about you guys, but I've grown up in church. How many here has grown up in church? Like you had a hard time missing a Sunday. Like you could probably count on one hand how many Sundays you missed. Like that was my life growing up. I grew up in church. I heard all the churchisms and, the, and church culture and all of these different things. But probably of the most that I heard growing up, I heard about the disciples, sometimes even more so than Jesus. I'm just being straight, straight up and honest with you guys. But all the times that I heard the disciples being referenced or the disciples being brought up, it was in a way for us and our fallen humanity to be able to, what's the term? Be able to, I, man, the word just went from my head, Holy Spirit. Give it back. Identify. Because we want to identify with them. Right? How many people had Peter pointed out? Peter, man. Come on, Tom. It's like, Peter. I can relate to Peter. You know? Or Thomas. Doubting Thomas. You know? And then the pastors will be like, who in here has doubted? People will be like, I've doubted. And he's like, well, you're Thomas. And you're like, oh. You know? (laughs) And it's like, why are we looking to the disciples? The gospel is not about the disciples. The gospel is about Jesus. So why are we spending our whole lives trying to relate? That's the word. Thank you, Lord. And identify. I appreciate that, Steve. Why are we spending our entire lives trying to relate to the wrong person in the story? Because he's the one that looks most like us in our current state. We need to get away from that garbage because that's what's keeping us where we're at. You don't, I love how Todd White says it. He's like, are you, are you, which one are you trying to relate to? People say, I relate to Peter. Which one? The Peter that was cussing people out, chopping off ears, or the Peter that stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached the first gospel message when the Holy Spirit fell and 3,000 people came and radically gave their lives to Jesus. Which Peter are we relating to? So the reason the disciples are mentioned, even shown up in the gospels, is so that we can have a clear picture of what happens to people that spend every waking minute with Jesus. That's the transformation that takes place. Because Jesus, they're just with him. And it's seen in Acts and in Romans that even when they're brought before the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Peter and John, and it said that they were amazed because they were uneducated men, but they could tell that they had been with Jesus. That's where it's found, is being with Jesus. So when we read the gospels, let's just get that out of our heads completely, that the disciples are the ones that we're to relate to. We're not. We're supposed to see, okay, you did it in Peter, you can do it in me. You did it in Thomas, you can do it in me. You did it in James and John, you can do it in me. That's the whole point as to why they're there. They're not there for us to stay where we're at. So we have to come up higher. And so when we see Jesus and when we relate to Jesus, we'll see what he, see, we'll, we'll see what he saw. Like, have you ever like wondered, like when you went to pray for somebody and maybe they didn't get healed or maybe you didn't see the breakthrough that you thought? Have you been doing what Jesus was doing? Every waking moment when Jesus wasn't out with people or with his disciples, he withdrew from them to go and be with his father. Are we withdrawing to the place of secrecy that nobody knows about except you and him 
and are you getting alone and just loving on him and letting him love you? It's this nook of knowing him. This secret place. Everything in our public lives should be a reflection on what's happening in the secret place. What's happening behind a closed door is as a result, or what's happening in public is as a result of what's happening behind a closed door. I had this realization, we hear a lot in scripture, that there's a great cloud of witnesses. But when we're alone by ourselves, you are more exposed than ever. Because all of heaven is watching and seeing what your move is going to be. Are your moves causing heaven to stand up and cheer? Or are your moves causing heaven to be grieved in their hearts and be like, oh, the answer's right there. But you're not running towards the answer because you're so busy looking at where you're at instead of where you're going. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And so I challenge you this morning, if you don't have a secret place, get one. You're not gonna find it on the clearance rack. You're not gonna find it at the nicest stores. You're gonna find it in the place where you're not tempted to role play before the Lord and you can get honest with yourself and with Jesus. And he can begin to open you up, take a spiritual scalpel, cut you wide open and open the doors that you've been afraid to let him in. All those dirty closets, all those rooms of shame and guilt and condemnation that the enemy has tried to keep you trapped in thinking, well, you're just being like Peter. He wants to rip that open and tear that out. He wants to do heart surgery on you. And it only happens in the secret place. And we see that so beautifully carried out in Luke. So if you've got your Bibles, let's use them. Let's go to Luke chapter 10, which is beautiful. Luke chapter 10, and we're going to be going verse 38 through 42. And I'm in the passion, so we're going to cry. Probably not. I already cried, so it's all good. So I'm just going to start reading. We've got Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42, and it says, And Jesus and the disciples continued on their journey. They came to a village where a woman welcomed Jesus into her home. Her name was Martha, and she had a sister named Mary. Mary sat down attentively before the master, absorbing every revelation he shared. Did you hear that? Mary sat down attentively before the master, absorbing every revelation he shared. But Martha became exasperated, that's a fun word, with finishing the numerous household chores in preparation for her guests. So she interrupted Jesus and said, Lord, don't you think it's unfair that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? You should tell her to get up and help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, my beloved Martha, why are you upset? and troubled, pulled away by all of these distractions. Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted and I won't take this privilege from her. So a couple things that we want to look at here. First of all, Martha knew how to get Jesus in the room. It says right here, a woman welcomed Jesus into her home. Her name was Martha. So Martha knew how to get Jesus into the room. She welcomed Jesus. But Mary knew how to keep him there. She sat at his feet and attentively listened to every word. So much so that you will have times where you're spending time with the Lord and maybe 
let's say you have a certain friend group, all right? And these friends maybe aren't the most on fire for Jesus friends that you've ever had in your life. I know some of us probably have these people in our lives. And as God begins to do a transformation on your heart and you begin to go into the secret place and find out that that's actually the most exciting, most fun place you could ever be in your life. Like it's fun to be in the secret place. It's not just, oh God, like it's also like, you're so good. Like that's the secret place. And as you get in there and do that and spend time with Jesus more, those friends that you have, some of them will see that and be like, wow, there's a transformation taking place. I wonder if they're actually tapping into something that I need to be tapping into as well. And those friends are gonna go with you a long way. But there will also be friends in your life that will look at you and they'll kind of be like Martha is right here. And they'll say, Lord, don't you think it's unfair that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? Hey, don't you think it's unfair that you're going and spending all your time in your room? We used to hang out all the time. We used to go out every Friday night. We used to do all this stuff, but now I never see you. What's up? Don't you think it's unfair that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? You should tell her to get up and help me. Or hey, you spent enough time with him. You spent 30 minutes with him. That's enough. You can come, you can come and hang out. You can come do this. No, there's no compromise when you spend time with the Lord. You fall in love with Jesus, guess what? Minutes turn into hours. Hours turns into days. Days turn into weeks. Weeks turn into months. Months turn into years. Next thing you know, you've been in love with Jesus in a radical way for all of your life. There are people that will go with you. And there are people that will wonder why you're doing that and they're not gonna go with you. And it's important for us to be able to recognize, okay, Lord, help me to see in my friend group, all right, this is like just simple stuff. In my friend group, who's gonna go with me and who's not? Draw a line in the sand and it may be painful, but some relationships I feel like, and I, I didn't plan on saying this, but I feel like the Lord is saying this morning, some of us got some relationships that we need to cut off for the sake of knowing him more that they're keeping us in our Egypt when our promised land is right there. Okay? So I'm saying this out of love and I'm saying this because I've had to do this as well. And I've been challenged in my heart to only preach things that I'm actively pursuing and, try and doing my best to walk out. So I don't want to speak something that's like so far removed, but I've never been there. I never want to do that. So I just want to be honest and transparent with you guys that there are friends that will need to have relationships cut off in your life for the sake of knowing him more. There was a guy that came up to Jesus and he said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, birds of the air have nests and foxes have holes, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Another one said, I'll follow you, but first let me go and bury my father. His father hadn't even died yet. That was just a play on words that whenever his father did die, he would get his father's inheritance. And then through that stability of his father's inheritance, then he would travel and follow Jesus. But what separates him from the 12 disciples that Jesus initially called was you've got guys leaving their nets, leaving their father in an instant and following Jesus. Where's the difference there? In the secret place, there is no safety net. When you go to a circus, if those aren't even probably going on anymore, but back when circuses were a thing, Greatest Showman, I'll use that one. Younger generation, you guys know what I'm talking about. All right, so like Greatest Showman, you got the trapeze artists, you got the people that are flipping, doing stupid, crazy things in the air. 
but what's always beneath them. You don't see the whole picture. You just see them doing the flips in the air. You don't see the ginormous net that's under them, that if they don't catch them, boom, they're going to be just fine. The risk and reward is a little less, uh, it's, it's a little less impressive when you see the net because you're like, oh, well, you'll be fine if you don't make that, you know? But what if you took that net away? Ooh, you'd watch that a little bit differently. You'd be like, man, they're going to televise this or something like that. I mean, it's, you can't fake that. Because you know every move of that trapeze artist is going to be with such intensity and with such um, pinpoint accuracy that there's going to be no way that they're going to miss doing that trick for the sake of their life being at stake. That's what the disciples did. They removed all safety nets and they ran after Jesus saying, we have nothing to fall back on. If we fall, we fall and it's over. So either you're the Messiah or you're not, but we're, we only have one way to, follow, to, to find out, and it's to follow Jesus. And that's what we need to do in our own lives today. How many people in society are spending two-thirds of their life trying to create a safety net so that they can play around for the last quarter of their life? When instead, when we started traveling full-time, Terry called dad, and he said, hey, we're going to... We're, we're going to travel the U.S. We're going to see miracles, signs, and wonders. Thousands of people are going to come to Jesus, and it's no salary. They had asked multiple couples before they had asked my parents to travel, and they lost every single one of those couples when they got to that point on saying there's no salary because they're like, well, how are we going to be able to do this if we don't get paid? But my mom and dad took it before the Lord and the Lord said, go, and I will provide. And we never lacked. We traveled for five years, no salary, on the road full time. That's unheard of to the world's standards because the world's like, what's your retirement plan? I'm not against retirement plans. If you have one, that's amazing. But it's removing any excuse to fall back. When Paul and Barnabas were traveling in the New Testament, you can go and read this. They traveled with a man by the name of Mark. And at one scripture, Mark leaves Paul and Barnabas, goes back to his hometown. So you're just reading this. You're like, okay, okay, there's Paul, Barnabas, and then Mark is there. And then Mark just is out of the story. He's gone. You can't find him anywhere. He shows up a couple chapters later wanting to rejoin. And that's why Paul and Barnabas were arguing. So much so that Paul and Barnabas split. And Barnabas took Mark and Paul went on eventually and took on Timothy. Why was that? Because Paul said, no one putting his hand to the plow, like Jesus said, no one putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. We have to be moving forward with Jesus. You're my everything. And there's nothing else that I can lean on. There's nothing else I can go on. Because if there's something else I can go on, I have something to boast in. But like Paul said, I have no reason to boast but Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's the only reason I have any ability to boast. And why do we see Paul saying these things and living the life that he lived? Because he committed himself in his heart, I'm going to walk and talk and live just like Jesus. It's not unattainable. The father tells us, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. And what he's saying there is be complete, whole, lacking nothing. As your father in heaven is complete, whole, and lacking nothing. How many people, no, don't raise your hands, but how many people this morning thinking to yourself can think, I'm complete, I'm whole, and I'm lacking nothing? You talk to 
probably any church anywhere, and you got people that are incomplete, unwhole, and they're lacking in everything. Why? That shouldn't be the case. We're Jesus lovers. We should be standing out. Um, we, we should be standing out apart from the crowd, and people see us, and they're like, that's impossible. It's like the nation of Israel, when they're in captivity in Egypt, darkness falls over Egypt. How many of you guys seen the Prince of Egypt? It's okay. You can show me. You should, if you have not seen the Prince of Egypt, oh, it's a 2D animated movie. Came out in like 99. It's incredible. It's not a kid's movie. I ball my eyes out every time. But it's amazing when the plagues are happening, if you guys remember this, when the plagues are going on, and then the darkness comes over Egypt. And it's crazy, because it's literally like all the buildings of Egypt go pitch black. And the nation of Israel is like Phoenix, like 2 p.m. in the afternoon. We don't think about it that way. We think, oh, darkness, so it affected Israel too. No, Israel prospered during that time. That was all against the people of Egypt. That's crazy. That's how much we are called to live set apart. That's how much we're to stand out. When the world is experiencing great turmoil, arguing, wars among wars, we're standing our ground saying Jesus is king and he's coming again soon. Let me tell you about him. If we don't know Jesus and don't know how to live like him, how can we expect to tell anybody about him? When you walk into your job, you want to know probably why we're maybe a little bit hesitant to tell people about him. Have you maybe asked yourself, am I fully convinced in the goodness of God? Because if I'm fully convinced in his goodness, there's a difference on telling people about a God that I'm convinced of his character, his personality, what he wants to do in their lives than if I was like, well, you know, sometimes he does and... Sometimes it just doesn't go the way we think. God's in control. He's got a bigger purpose to all this. Those are just man trying to give an excuse for things that maybe they don't fully understand. And I'm not saying we fully understand everything. We don't, but that's the beauty in following Jesus is we trust him. That's why the secret place is important is because you get in the secret place and you spend time with him. Man, the Lord's like totally taking me off my notes. I better just like get rid of that. But I mean, like, Think, okay, think of Lazarus, okay? So we just read in Luke 10, you've got Mary and you've got Martha. Martha's working, Mary's at the feet of Jesus, right? Okay, she's at the feet of Jesus. And as she's at the feet of Jesus, a couple chapters later in a different gospel, we see, um, that was cool, we see Lazarus, all right? Lazarus is Mary and Martha's brother, okay? I'm not going somewhere that you guys haven't heard before. We all know the... We all know these stories, but Lazarus was raised from the dead, John 11, all right? That's what that story's about, all right? So Lazarus dies, it's in Bethany. Martha sends a message to Jesus and says, come quickly for the one that you love is sick. And Jesus delays his journey by a couple days. And finally, Jesus comes to the point where he looks at his disciples and he's like, all right, guys, let's, let's get up and, and let's go to Bethany because I got to go wake somebody up, all right? What faith? <laughs> what faith? That's incredible, you know? And so Jesus like, I got to go wake somebody up. Thomas looks at him, and he's like, well, if you just got to go wake somebody up, like, I don't think it's worth the 100-mile, you know, walk that we got to do, you know? Like, they'll wake up. They'll be awake by the time we get there. They would have probably slept again by the time we get there. And Jesus is like, Okay, it's going over your head. These are the same disciples that didn't understand when Jesus said, the son of man will be betrayed, handed over to the Pharisees, he'll be crucified, he'll be buried, and then three days later, he will rise again. These are the same disciples that didn't understand that. 
That was plain simple. And so Jesus finally looks at Thomas and he's like, okay, um, he's dead, all right? He's dead. Lazarus, kaput, he's out. I gotta go raise him up, okay? And so Thomas is like, all right, well, Jesus is gonna go die. Might as well go die with him. What lack of faith. Oh my, that's incredible. So anyways, they go to Bethany and Jesus shows up. There's something beautiful that I want us to see here. This is all about being convinced in the character and the beauty of Jesus. When you know him, all right? So just recapping real quick. Mary spent time with, Je- Ma- Mary spent time with Jesus. Martha didn't know him very much. Knew how to serve him. Didn't really know how to do anything beyond that, okay? And so they come. Anyways, even Jesus goes as far as to say the sickness will not end in death. So he's already, he already knows what he's about to do right here. It's going to end in life. So anyways, Jesus, in verse 17 of chapter 11 of John, now when they arrived at Bethany, which was only about two miles from Jerusalem, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Many friends of Mary and Martha had come from that region to console them over the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was approaching the village, she went out to meet him but Mary stayed in the house. So once again, Martha, boom, right there. Welcome Jesus into her house. Now she's the first one to go out and meet him, okay? And Martha said to Jesus, now here's something we need to look at. So Martha is the first to run out to see Jesus. There's, a, there's something fueling her coming to Jesus, right? When Jesus initially came to her house, she welcomed Jesus in, but now she's running towards Jesus, which is probably the only time in scripture you see Martha running towards Jesus. But we need to look at what's the motive behind her coming to Jesus. She says, she falls down at his feet and says, my Lord, if only you had come sooner, my brother wouldn't have died. So what we're seeing here, I want us to kind of picture this Martha comes before Jesus, doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. She just knows how to serve him. Comes before and in kind of an accusing manner tells him, if only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You see the heart posture there? If only you had been here, he wouldn't have died. But then she says, but I know that if you were to ask God for anything, he would do it for you. So she's already kind of approaching Jesus from this theological mindset. If only you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Nevertheless, if you were to ask God for anything, he would do it for you. And Jesus' response to her says, your brother will rise and live again. She replies and said, yes, I know he will rise with everyone else on resurrection day. So she's showing us right here that she knows resurrection day. She knows the scripture. She has studied it because this response right here incites that she knows scripture. Because she says, yeah, he'll rise again on the day of resurrection. And then Jesus, his response, Jesus is so amazing. He says, Martha, you don't have to wait until then. I am the resurrection and the life eternal. Anyone who clings to me in faith, even though he dies, will live forever. And the one who lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So Jesus gives this mic drop of an answer saying, I am. I am resurrection and life. Martha replies and says, yes, Lord, I do. I've always believed that you are the anointed one, the son of God who has come into the world for us. And then it says she left. 
So this is midway conversation with Jesus and she leaves and hurried off to her sister, Mary, and called her aside from all the mourners and whispered to her, the master is here and he's asking for you. Wait a second. There's nowhere in documented scripture that it says Jesus was like, I'm the resurrection and the life. Where's Mary? You ever thought about that? He literally says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe that I can do this? Martha says, yes, I believe. And I've always believed that you are the anointed one, the son of God, who has come into the world for us. We have reached the end of her ability to have a theological conversation with Jesus. Because she's understanding, she's seeing right here. She's like, that's about as far as I got. So I better go get Mary. Because I don't know what to say next. So she runs to Mary, says, the master is calling for you after Jesus didn't. But Mary's response is a little bit different because once again, we have serving Jesus and then we have being with Jesus. And so now she said, the master is here and he's asking for you. So when Mary heard this, she quickly went off to find him. Same way Martha went out, quickly going to see Jesus. For Jesus was lingering outside the village at the same spot where Martha met him. Literally, same scenario, same place, different person. She's approaching him the same way. She's running towards Jesus. Now, when Mary's friends who were comforting her noticed how quickly she ran out of the house, they followed her, assuming she was going to the tomb of her brother to mourn. And when Mary finally found Jesus outside the village, she fell at his feet in tears. So the last time she's found at the feet of Jesus, she's listening and hanging on every word that he says, attentively listening to the king of glory, to Jesus. And now she's at his feet in tears. That's the last time we see Mary. And this is the next time we see her. And she's exactly where we saw her the first time, at the feet of Jesus. And her response is a little similar, pretty much almost word for word similar. And she said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But what do we see from this time? Jesus is seeing a woman who has been with him personally, intimately. And Mary, in the midst of saying, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. She knew that in the very being of Jesus, death is impossible when, he, when his presence is there. He is his presence. So Mary is saying, if Jesus, if only you had been here present, I know my brother wouldn't have died. And I refuse to believe otherwise. Because then Jesus, having compassion on them, began to weep. And then he says, where is he? And they go to a tomb. And where Jesus is, death can't be present. So we have one who is serving Jesus, who kind of in, a, in, in an accusing manner, says, if only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But then we have a sister that had been with him, that knew Jesus, that comes and says the same thing, but it initiates a different response from Jesus because he sees you've been with me and you're mixed in the tension and you're not going to allow the tension of your current circumstance to change the way you see me. Instead, you're going to allow the tension to push you towards me instead of away from me. And now I'm gonna get closer to your mistake. I'm gonna get closer to your scenario. I'm gonna get closer to your circumstance, being your brother who is dead. And I'm gonna call him forth and he's gonna come to life. For the sake of Mary, Jesus went to the tomb. I wonder how the story would have played out if Mary never went out there to see Jesus. Are you guys tracking with me here? And so it's just this important place of knowing Jesus, being with him. 
you will always see a different response from the Lord towards people who have been with him and people who haven't been with him. The people that haven't been with him are those that will say, Lord, Lord, you'll see wonders, you'll see miracles, but far be it from us to long to see miracles, signs, and wonders more than Jesus walking into the room. Which is the greater miracle? To see blind eyes open or to see the king of glory walk in the room? That's almost a greater miracle to me because when he walks in, guess what? Blind eyes open. Deaf ears are opened. The dead come back to life because Jesus walks in. And so I'm starting to, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna wrap up here. We're gonna take communion this morning because we want to live just like him. First Corinthians, Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. Second Corinthians. It all talks about being one with Christ, being one with Jesus. We are dead to sin. Why, how are we dead to sin? You're alive to Jesus. It's impossible to be dead to sin and dead to Jesus. Being dead to sin and dead to Jesus, that's Old Testament. That's man trying to do it in its own strength. They're given a law to show how messed up they are. And then Jesus comes and fulfills the law and then gives us the ability to also walk in the fulfillment of the law, which is through Jesus. We can't do anything apart from him. If we try to do anything apart from him, it's death. Scripture tells us, Jesus' words, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you do something, and I've done it, disconnected from Jesus, out of pure nature, you're dying. Nothing apart from Jesus produces life. Nothing. Man can try to find ways to eat better, exercise harder, and do everything possible to further our lifespan. But Jesus is the only way to have eternal life. And you notice eternal life is not praying a prayer. Eternal life is not inviting Jesus to come into your heart. Eternal life is to know him and the one whom he has sent. John 17, Jesus' prayer. He's praying it over us in John 17. He says eternal life is to know me, the one whom he has sent. And it's so beautiful because Paul says this. I'm just, last scripture I'm gonna pull out, maybe. I don't know. And he says it in 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2, one of my favorite scriptures recently. Paul writing, and he says this in 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2, For while I was with you, I was determined to be consumed with one topic. Jesus Christ in him crucified. Paul loved Jesus so much and saw the transforming power of Jesus that he said, nothing else matters but to just talk about him, to only sing to him, to only love on him, to only want to be like him. And when we take communion, we are reminding ourselves of what he did so we can live like Jesus. You're nothing without his blood. You're nothing without his body. We are dead in our sin. But Jesus came and did away with it. 
He took on a crucifixion. Yeah, you guys can start passing the communion. You can start passing it around. So as we take this, don't eat it, don't drink it yet. We're gonna do this together as a family. This is a family communing together. And it's not just you taking it. Sitting across the table from you is Jesus. And he's saying, look at what I've provided for you. Look at what I've given you. I've given you my body and I've given you my blood. So I pray that as you look at these elements, you see your value. Thank you, Greg. Over these elements is your value. How much you mean to him. How much does he mean to you? How much does he mean to us? Are we pursuing him like our life depends on it? We sing these songs all day for the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me. You are holy, you are worthy, but then we walk out and we treat sports like they're holy and they're worthy because we have more reverence for them than we do Jesus. He's He's worth it. He's worth our time. He's worth our gifts, our abilities. Your gifts and your abilities outside of Jesus are vanity. I'm sorry. We heard this a couple months back. You know, and it's, imagine if some of the most talented, most gifted singers, songwriters, musicians in history, imagine how much better their talent and their craft would have been if had it been used solely for Jesus and him alone. He's all we were made for. God said, let me make man in our image. So don't you think the creator of the universe would know how you and I are to live? He knows what's best for us. I know we got a couple home builders in here. We got Lance and then Simon. You guys know what are the great materials to use, how to do a foundation, what's needed, what's necessary, what is for the homeowner's best interest. Because you guys have studied and you have put time into knowing those things. I don't know nothing about building a house. I could come to you and I could say, well, I think this would be a great foundation. You could be like, great, it's not gonna work. So who are we to think we know how we're to treat our bodies, how we're to do this or do that or do that apart from Jesus. He's the only one that knows. And the deeper you go with him, you will begin to see things change in you specifically as you yield yourself to him. It doesn't happen overnight to where you have Peter chops a guy's ear off and the next day is ready to die, literally. Because before he said, I'll go wherever you go so much even unto death. And Jesus looked at him and he said, before the rooster crows, you love denied me three times. But then after that, the Peter that is the Peter that is restored and redeemed counted it too holy to be crucified the way Jesus was, and he elected to be crucified upside down because he saw Jesus and said, I will not be crucified the same way he is. That is too holy. <laughs> what? That's crazy. And yet this is the king that we get to come to day in, day out. So if you have your communion elements, we're going to take this as a family, all right? Not just with the people that are sitting around you. Jesus is the most important guest at this feast. Jesus is here.
sitting at the end of the table and he's looking at you and saying, just as I've freely given of my body and my blood, would you give me yours? Would you lay yours down and stop being something that you were never created to be? Stop saying that these things are normal when my scripture says otherwise. Stop thinking you're a guy in a girl's body. Stop thinking you're a girl in a guy's body. I don't make mistakes. Stop thinking that you were meant to fall in love with a man or you were meant to fall in love with a woman. You don't get to decide that. I created you and I know what is best for you. He's not saying that because he hates you. He's saying that because he loves you so much. Why would you put those in your body? Why would you try and use that to go to sleep at night? Don't you think I know what is best for you? Come on. We can live higher. We can live more like Jesus. He's not unattainable. He's not out of reach. He's closer than he's ever been. So taking the body, just want to challenge you in this moment that if you don't know Jesus, if you have not surrendered all that you are to him, I want to challenge you to make that decision right now. Before you eat of this, before you take of this bread and this cup, I want you to confirm in yourself, Jesus, you're all that I need and you're all that I want. For someone who takes this meal based out of their flesh, it says, and I'm not saying this to scare you, I'm just saying that the last time somebody took this meal with their own intent in mind, it was Judas. And it didn't end well for him. So take this with Jesus in mind. I want Jesus. I just want to be like you. I just want to live like you. Everywhere I go, you're worth it. I tried my own way and it's not worth it. You're worth it, Jesus. So right now, if you're sitting in your seats and you want to give everything that you have to Jesus, I want you just to repeat after me and say, Jesus, I give you everything. I don't hold anything back. All of you and none of me. That's all that you got to do. Believe in your heart and give all that you are to him. Now taking the bread, this is his body. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your body. On Palm Sunday, the Sunday that you came in to Jerusalem on a donkey, people laying their garments out before you and waving palm branches in the air and saying, Hail, King of the Jews. He is here. And Jesus, you didn't shy away walking in and riding in on a donkey to the very city that would betray you three weeks later. You are amazing. And we thank you for your price. That just as you rode in on a donkey, you walked out of the city with a wooden cross to be crucified. Your body broken for us. Laid out for us. You didn't even hide. You didn't even try to run away. When they were whipping your body, you, if your hands wouldn't have been chained, you still would have held on just for me. So we thank you for your body and we take it in remembrance of you. Let's take the body as a family. flowed down a wooden cross 
that as nails were being pierced in your hands, you cried out above all else, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Lord, in all the times in our own lives where we've done things that we thought were good in our own eyes, but they weren't God. And in our inability to see rightly, we crucified you on that cross just as the Romans did. It was sin that put you on that cross. And just as being apart from you, we are unrecognizable, so you took on sin and became unrecognizable as a human. No one could know who you were because your face was marred beyond recognition. Your body was torn. But Father, I just pray, may this community, may this family right here not be a family of people that live taking the blood for granted. Father, I pray that may we in ourselves be convicted by the Holy Spirit to remember the price that was paid for us and may we be willing to live out what Jesus paid for us to walk in everywhere we go. We thank you for your blood that washes us white as snow. No history, no past, nothing. Just our present and things to come. We thank you for it, God. Let's take the blood. Let's stand. Let's stand this morning. And as you stand, just begin to thank him. Just begin to give him glory. Give him adoration. Give him all of your praise and your thanksgiving. He is worthy of it all. He is beautiful. Don't say it inside. Say it outside. Open your mouth. And let thanksgiving and praises rise up to King Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You are the fairest among ten thousands. You are the fairest of them all, Jesus. We love you. You're the only one that we've come to be with. The only one that we long for. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you.